Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the College Gridiron Podcast. This is week four of the college football season. I don't want to waste any time because we have a whole lot to get to today, so let's just jump right into it, Jimmy. How, first off, how are you? Uh, I've been better, and I you, you'll, you'll hear more about why later, because uh, this is going to become like one big therapy session basically yeah. for both of our yeah. teams, but I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I mean, tough weekend, tough weekend, I gotta admit, it was not the best for either of our teams, one won, one loss, so that's just how it is sometimes, it really be like that sometimes, <laughs> but... Let's just jump right into it. Easily best game of the week, LSU-Auburn. That was a nail-biter down to the wire. That was a great game. I, I didn't get to see a ton of it because it was at, on at the same time as BYU-Wisconsin, so I was just seeing some of the highlights. But LSU starts off, I think, second play of the game, they get a pick on Jarrett Stidham, go down, score a touchdown. They score the first 10. Auburn scores the next 21. Then LSU scores the final 12. This game, I said last week that it was going to come down to whether or not Joe Burrow could make enough plays. I don't know how much of it was that he made plays so much as on that last drive. That Auburn defense had, I think, three or four penalties mm-hmm. that really hamstrung him. I mean, it killed them. It got LSU in a field goal range. And then Cole Tracy, ice in his veins from 42 yards out, couldn't have kicked it any better. Literally into the All-State hands, pretty mm-hmm. much. It was incredible kick. But I'm happy for Ed Orgeron, and I'm happy for LSU because going into the season— I'm not trying to brag. I actually went to Baton Rouge in May for a couple of days because I was with the softball team out here because they were in the tournament. And I actually talked to a guy at LSU, and they were pretty bullish on the team going into this year because they weren't sure about the quarterback situation. They weren't sure about all this other stuff. They started the year at 25. They physically imposed themselves on Miami. Yes, they did. They get an easy win after that, and then they go beat Auburn at Auburn, which nobody does. No. That's... That's a pretty incredible feat. Now, they're sixth in the country this week, and I don't want to look too, too far ahead. But that LSU-Alabama game in Tiger Stadium, beginning of November, that could be that could really be something, if, I, especially if they're both undefeated. I think I'm, I think I'm with you on that being the, the most anticipated game left in the season because I think that game right there will dictate who makes the college football playoff. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, it's going to dictate who makes it to the SEC championship game, and then it'll, depending on how Georgia does and if the committee feels compelled to throw another two SEC teams in, it, you could be looking at LSU-Georgia both undefeated in... You, you could be looking at either Alabama and LSU undefeated in the SEC championship game to go along with a possibly undefeated Georgia. I'll throw you in another possibly very high-anticipated game that's sooner than that, so it's actually more likely to happen. LSU-Georgia in Baton Rouge October 13th. Yeah. Okay. I need a I couch. I need a couch and a TV for that yep. one. Absolutely. 100%. Um, but let's, let's backtrack, because I know we were talking last week. I was talking about... LSU has a chance if Coach O can get these kids ready to play like he had them ready to play against Miami. He, I believe he did, but I'm not sure if LSU was in the position to win because they were really controlling the game, or if it's just because Auburn wasn't good enough to on the, on Saturday. Jared Stidham, under 200 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. It's not a great day. No, it isn't. It's not, and... I think LSU was dependent on that to win. If Jared Stidham had a big day, they weren't going to win. No. 
And I think that once that happened, it sort of opened the door. And Auburn, I think, left LSU in that game too long. And the other thing, the other observation that came out of that game for me was that that Auburn team, I, I still think they're really good. They miss on Johnson because they oh, don't yeah. have a guy to just give the ball to, say, get me three yards and let's get a new set of downs. They don't have that guy anymore. They use three or four different running backs, Cam Martin, Chief among them. So I think it's an Auburn team that's still kind of figuring things out. I still think they could give Alabama some hell towards the end of the season, but I also think that they're, Gus Malzahn's figuring things out on the fly now, and until he does, it's it's a little bit of a rough process right now for Auburn. They're not quite, I think, I don't think they're quite where they were last year, but that SEC West, man, with that is a gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the rest of Auburn's season is going to depend on Jarrett Stidham finally figuring it out and putting everything together and showing people why they think that he should be one of the top quarterbacks in this year's class. But it's it's really going to be interesting to look at this end of the season. I'm, we, we've talked about ad nauseum already, and it's only week four. But the SEC is once again showing that they're the dominant conference. They have the best teams in the country. And it's going to be really, really incredible watching this end of the season and seeing how this SEC West and the eventual SEC championship game shakes out. I mean, you look at all the good teams in the SEC right now. Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, LSU. Oh, by the way, Mississippi State is still undefeated. They yeah. snuck up on everybody. They could be a force to be reckoned with because they've got Nick Fitzgerald, who's one of the best quarterbacks quietly in the country, and they mm-hmm. took Alabama to the wall last year. So it's a, the SEC is very, very interesting this year, and there are any number of possible outcomes this season, but good for LSU because this, is, this was a big year for Ed Orgeron, and he has done an amazing job. And just a final thought on this from me. The quarterback who led LSU on the final drive, Joe Burrow, grad transfer. The kicker who made the field goal to end the game for LSU, grad transfer. Grad transfers are going to continue to be a thing in college football yes, because they are. they are not carrying LSU right now, but they've, they've been a big part of their success. And as Coach O would say, go Tigers. <laughs> I love that. That's my favorite thing in college football right now, his postgame interviews, where yeah. he's just like, go Tigers. Yeah. Coach O voice might be the best thing in college football Oh, today. it's awesome. So let's get into some less good things in college football. And Jimmy, I'm kind of just gonna, I'm gonna preface it for everyone at home, and then I'm just gonna let you go to town because I know you have things to say. Wisconsin dropped a very winnable game to BYU. We were talking about it before the show. They might have got caught in a trap game. Looking forward to this to this week's showdown in Iowa, which is never an easy game. So it's safe to say that they may have been looking ahead and counting their chickens before they hatched with BYU, who, granted, came out, played very hard, and they kept Wisconsin under wraps for basically the entire game. The final score, 24-21, BYU winning on uh, last-second field goal. So, Jimmy, what happened? A couple things happened to Wisconsin. So, If you think about Wisconsin football, and this is going to sound way too philosophical for what we're talking about, but if you think about Wisconsin football, their identity is hard-nosed, smash-mouth football, we're going to run it right at you, and God knows what's going to happen next. One of the best offensive lines in college football, very physical, they've been known for that for years. The difference in Wisconsin winning and losing their close games is usually Alex Hornibrook, the quarterback. Yep. And he's a guy who sometimes he makes the plays, case in point, the Orange Bowl, where 
he's the reason they won that game, where he throws four touchdowns, they beat Miami. And there are some times when he just doesn't quite do it. Big Ten title game, back-to-back years, really, 2016, 2017. I'll give you that. They went on the road to Michigan in 2016, and he makes one more play to win that game. And on Saturday, he just didn't quite have it. He threw a pick early on in the second half, BYU uh, scored a touchdown on the ensuing drive after that. Jonathan Taylor, the running back for Wisconsin, who put up insane numbers the first two weeks, he had a pretty good week. I mean, he got his 117 yards, 117 on, yards 20, on 26 carries. That's not bad. That's what you expect. But the yeah. thing is, that's a BYU defense where their sole preoccupation was stopping Jonathan Taylor. Yes. And that should be that should be how every defense goes about it. Because, yeah, he got his, but no touchdowns. It kept him off the board four and a half yards per carry. You will, you'll take that if you're BYU. So then the onus falls to Hornibrook, and he had an okay day. Completed 18 of 28. Yeah, 18 of 28, 190 yards, and the pick, like I said. But people will say, because Wisconsin had more total yards and more first downs and more time in possession, so they they were probably slightly better. But people will say, well, you know, BYU scored a touchdown on a gadget play. They had an end around, went for a big play. I don't care. You're, you're playing BYU. You're a 23-point favorite. Mm-hmm. 23 points. This is one of the biggest upsets in recent memory. Okay? Yeah, I'll give you that. This is a huge upset. It shouldn't come down to a gadget play in an end around. <laughs> you, like, end of missed field goal at the end from a guy who almost never misses. Right. So none of those things should happen. But at the same time, why are you letting BYU into the game? Because a couple plays go differently. Wisconsin's running away with a win, and we're just sort of like, oh, this team's a little weird. But like you said, it was a trap game. By the way, student section was horrendous. They didn't fill the place until the third quarter, and everybody knows what happens after the third quarter at Camp Randall. The The place was not filled for pretty much all of the game. And the BYU uh, defense really kind of took it to them. I mean, physically, they got a push on that offensive line. It wasn't a Wisconsin football game. Like, they weren't physically dominating. They should physically dominate BYU, and it just didn't happen. So I think Wisconsin's got to go to the drawing board. They got a tough game against Iowa this week. I don't know that they're going to win. Honestly, it's it's a tough game. I will give BYU a ton of credit because this is a team that looked this is a program that looked dead to rights last year. Mm-hmm. They looked awful. And Kalani Sataki's been coaching for his job and now they're ranked. So, you know what? Good for him. He's beaten Arizona, granted down year for them, and now he's beaten Wisconsin. So, uh, I'll sit back and be happy for them. And I will also praise them for their brazenness because if you saw uh, a video after the game, the BYU players went into the uh, locker room at Camp Randall, blasted jump around, and celebrated their you-know-what off. So, you know what? Good for that. I can't even be mad at them for that because, you know what? We deserve it, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you were talking about Wisconsin and their game plan. You know how well their defense is going to play on any given day. They held they held the quarterback 89 yards passing. No, No touchdowns, no interceptions. Fine. But where they really got killed was on the ground. Yeah. Squale Canada, I believe that's how you say his last name. Yes. And his first name. 118 rush yards, two touchdowns on only 11 carries. That's not great. He had a couple huge runs in the first half. That's not what you want to see out of a Wisconsin defense that is known for much better run D. It is. And it's a defense that was one of the best defenses in the country last year. I think they've taken a step back because they miss. Derek Tindall in pass coverage. They really do. Him and Nick Nelson, they really miss them. But other than that, it's more or less the same defense. They didn't have Jack Sushi for all of last year. He went into the draft, but that's not a loss because he, he didn't play. 
I mean, they've got Edwards back. They've got Nelson, the other Nelson back. But it's just like, I, I don't get it. It's one of those games where they just they were flat. And honestly, they were a little flat against New Mexico and a little flat against Western Kentucky, and we dismissed it because yeah, it's early in the season. Yeah. These things happen. But it's a trend now, and, and they get, they have to win this week. They must win this week. If they don't win this week, I don't think they're ranked. And it's a really? Pers- oh, yeah. You think they're going to fall totally out? Oh, if they lose to Iowa, and especially if they do it in a rather grandiose fashion, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. honestly, I mean, they, they haven't looked good. Even, even given how tough of an environment going to Iowa is? Yeah, no, it, you should still win. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's fair. I mean, I, I also think, too, like, Part of it is me talking about how I would rank the teams because the way I do it would more be just to look at it week to week. Okay, who's the best teams this week? So I don't really pay any allegiance to like the rankings from last week. So I think they might, if they lose, they might still sneak in there. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's just honestly, it's not a very good team right now. It's just not. Right. So an- another team that's just not really playing up to the standards that they should be are the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They barely escaped Vanderbilt this week. They looked pretty terrible against Ball State the week before. And that game, I was willing to give them a a pass coming off an emotional victory against Michigan, coming off a huge game, and that's fine. You know what? Take, Take a week off, then come back. But only beating Vanderbilt by... 17 point by not by 17 points giving up 17 points to Vanderbilt and only winning by five it's not what you want <laughs> I think let me get to Vanderbilt first they put up a great fight I think at points they deserved to win the game and strictly because their quarterback play was phenomenal Kyle Shermer I think is going to be a name that creeps up draft boards come April because I think that this kid is He's a gamer. He he understands how to play the game well. He's got a cannon for an arm. I mean, some of these throws I saw him made was ridiculous. He just looked fantastic. But then you look at Notre Dame, and I think it, I think it all comes down to their offense just not being very good. Their defense did enough to win the game. And that's all you need from them. Just do your job, fine. But a lot of the problems came from Notre Dame's offense. I think Brandon Wimbush is not good anymore. I mean, I don't think he ever was great. I think he was good at best. But I think he's showing us that he's not really the the guy they should be going with. But there's it's not like there's a lot of competition behind him, so I think the job is his. But I think he's a glorified Everett Golson. Really? Yeah. I mean, granted, Golson got the Irish to the national championship game and proceeded to get smacked upside the head by Alabama, which, fair, it's going to happen. Um, you could argue that Notre Dame didn't really belong in that game to begin with. I wouldn't say that, strictly because I loved that they were there and were happy that no, we they got a chance. It. They were undefeated. Yeah. yeah. But that, that, it's, it's Wimbush, man. He's missing a lot of weapons. No, I know I've talked about it before. No Josh Adams. No Equinemius St. Brown. But you still have enough talent on offense to get the job done. The offensive line is still playing well, as you come to expect from a Notre Dame offensive line who's turned into O-line U these last, this last five, six years. And I don't know. I know they won, and I should be happy. But this is just a 
dangerous trend for this team as they have gigantic games coming up this year. They still got to go to Virginia Tech. They got to play Stanford. Uh, I know they're going to play USC. They're playing Syracuse at Yankee Stadium in December, which isn't going to be great. Syracuse uh, beat the team that shall not be named last week. Yep. Pretty big. Yeah. I mean, does it it matter? No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because they're not good, and that team who shall not be named, head coach, admitted that it's basically his fault, his staff's fault. I mean, he believes. I I don't know why we're even going into it. Uh, anyway, back to Notre back Dame. to Notre Dame. Whatever, Jimmy. What do you think about Notre Dame? So, I think Brandon Wimbush is starting to become a liability for this mm-hmm. offense. I really do. Granted, he ran it for nearly a hundred yards last week, but that's not what you're looking for. I mean, I guess it kind of is if you're going to run the system Brian Kelly's running with him, but I don't know. You know. I don't get it, and I would maybe start to think about looking at Book because Wimbush has insane talent. I I went to high school with a a team that we would play St. Peter's Prep, which is where Brandon Wimbush went to school regularly. They beat us handily every time. And he he was the quarterback, and they were using Minka Fitzpatrick at wide receiver. (laughs) You can imagine how good that team was. But... He doesn't have the weapons that he did last year. When you lose an Equinemius St. Brown and some other guys like that, it's sort of tough to replicate that. And the weapons are pretty good. They've got talent, but it's just not its not there right now. And you saw what Wake Forest could do. Pat Shermer's son, who's the quarterback of the team, had them within, what, 30 yards of winning that game? Yeah, something like that. And then some unfortunate circumstances ended up pushing them back out of out of any type of scoring range. I will say one thing, though. Shout out to the Notre Dame punter on that last that last drive for Notre Dame. I think there was like 20 seconds left, something like that, and a bad punt would have given Vanderbilt a chance. But this kid just boots it 63 yards, puts Vanderbilt inside their own 15, and ices the game. And that was probably the most hyped up I've ever seen a punter. Oh, as he should be. That was a bomb. That kick was awesome. It was. It, it was. absolutely was. So, I guess we can look forward to next week getting back on track against Wake Forest. Granted, I think that is the trap game of all trap games as they have Stanford coming into South Bend the week after, so they cannot afford to look past Wake Forest. Uh, we're going to move on onto some another kind of ranty topic. You know what, Jimmy? There's just not enough money in college football, is there? There isn't. There isn't. Just not enough money, huh? No. As as we've seen, as I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a Darren Ravel tweet here. For the first time ever, three times paid at least one million dollars in the same week won their games. Northwestern loses to Akron, who was paid one point two million dollars to play that Why game. Why are you paying Akron one point two million dollars? Nebraska loses to Troy, paid one point one five million dollars to play the game. Arkansas loses to North Texas $1 million to play the game. Arkansas got obliterated by North Texas, by the way. Yeah. So, (laughs) there's just not enough money. There's not enough money. And the thing is, like, I'm fine with you paying teams, whoever, to come in. But you think about Troy. Troy's been paid $2 million over the last two years, and they've won both games. They went and beat LSU on homecoming last year. On homecoming at LSU. And the thing is just, like, how can I put this diplomatically? 
Don't be diplomatic. Okay, fine. Go for it. If you're not going to pay the players, and that's fine, then don't play around with the revenue. Like, I mean, this is like monopoly money to these people. You think about Texas A&M built a new stadium that basically the house to Johnny Manziel built. Yes. None of the players got any money. Johnny Manziel didn't get any money, and they came after him for making money on his name. On his name. I mean, I think I get it if you don't want college players to be paid. I get it. But can we please let them make money off themselves? They're profitable human beings. Kyler Murray's getting $5 million in dough. None of that's from the NCAA. His teammates are getting nothing. He's getting $5 million of dough from the Oakland Athletics. He's going to go play baseball after this season. And you know what? Good for him because he's, he's not going to have the concussion symptoms and all this other stuff that NFL players have to deal with. But, I mean, nobody else does this. I mean, you look at a guy like we were talking about Auburn, Jarrett Stidham. Incredibly good quarterback. He can make a lot of money off himself. Tua Tagovailoa, on his the way he's playing right now, might win the Heisman. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. There's no other enterprise I can think of in the world where athletes have a net worth. Like, some college athletes do. And not all of them. I get it. Not all no, of them. No, absolutely. Just, you know, just the, the stars. Just the stars and, and the biggest faces. Where they have a net worth of something that their employer artificially lowers to zero. I can't think of anything. It's ridiculous. It's it's insane and teams are gonna get paid millions of dollars, you know, this year and beyond to go out and beat other teams that are supposed to be good, but none of those teams are paying their players and to me that's wrong. I think you hit on the head with these new facilities being built. Clemson basically just built uh, an athlete child's dream home. I mean, games, game systems, slides, giant TVs. I want some of that. Weight, the most advanced weight room in the world. Players, players have to use it until they graduate. And yeah. then and then it's over. And they can't do internships either because they have to train with the team. Yeah. So they're they're you're actually being put at a disadvantage if you play college sports. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Especially if if you're a player that and you know you're not going to get drafted, your your entire college life is playing football and then you're done. All you have to your name when you're done college football is your degree. Yeah. I mean, sure, you have you have the the acknowledgement that you played that you played on Clemson and you won a you won a national championship that one year, but then when you're done, you don't have anything. And everybody's always like, "Well, why aren't they set up after they play? Why do you think they're not set up after they play? They can't set themselves up for after they play. This is all they got." Anyway, I'm done yelling. It just, it, I'm I'm also done, but I'm with you. I think that. Nothing's gonna change. Teams are gonna continuously get paid to to play football games that they should lose, but they might not, as we saw this past weekend. But at least you know what? I'm not even mad about it. Congratulations to Troy, North Texas, and the other one that just makes me too mad to even think about. They went out and got their money. And they won too. I yeah. mean, they. It's very easy for the teams to be like, "Hey, guys, guess what? We just made million and a half dollars to go play this football game. Let's just not even try." Nah, they came out to play. And Troy doing it two years in a row. Hey, yeah, good for them. Yeah, good for them. If, I mean, maybe stop scheduling Troy. Maybe stop paying Troy. You're 
you're setting yourself up for disaster when you do that. So and and Sanford almost did it too, and they got paid I think more than all those teams. So. Yeah, probably. I mean, the team that shall not be named probably should have been paying. They should have been paid to play Sanford, honestly. So let, very quickly, let's move on to this coming weekend. There's really only two games that we need to talk about, and I think we'll start off with Texas A&M visiting Tuscaloosa at Bryant Denny playing Alabama. It'll be Jimbo Fisher right back up against Alabama. I'm not sure if they if they've met before. They may have at some point, probably not. But I'm excited. Texas A&M has looked so good this year, and I'm happy they're finally ranked. I know Alabama steamrolled Ole Miss last week. That was supposed to be a good game. It just didn't turn into it. But I'm ready. I think I don't think A&M has a chance as much as I think that they're a good team, as much as I know Jimbo Fisher will have this team ready. I think Alabama is just too good, and it will not be close. I don't think so either. The line is Alabama minus 26. Yikes. This is two ranked teams we're talking about. Minus Alabama 26. It's minus 26. And you know what? Honestly, I would bet Alabama on that. I really would. Because, look, I love Texas A&M. I think they are ahead of schedule. But I still think they're a year away. I, I think they're not going to go. They're not just going to go into Alabama and Jimbo Fisher's, what, fourth game mm-hmm. and go in there and win. I mean, granted, the Clemson game was awesome. I don't want to say it was fluky because they, they played better than Clemson that night, but Clemson's sort of working through some some stuff right now, especially at the quarterback position, and that's not a total stunner in that environment, but you going to Bryant Denning, nah, I'm not feeling it. Uh, give me Alabama by 28 or 35. Jimmy, can I point out that Alabama is allowing 9.3 points per game? Yeah. Yeah, and they haven't played like a, that soft of a schedule. I mean, Louisville, Arkansas State, and Ole Miss. And they won fifty one fourteen, fifty seven to seven, and sixty two to seven. Yeah, this ain't the year for for Jimbo's boys. Maybe next year. Maybe they're next going year. to Texas A and M, but no. Yeah, I'll give them maybe next not, year. Not not with this team. Not with two at quarterback. Let's move on to a much more interesting game: Stanford visiting the Zoo in Oregon. I think that this has game of the year potential. Really? Yeah, I like it. I know Oregon is only the twentieth ranked team in the country. We haven't seen much of them. We don't know how healthy Bryce Love is. We don't know if he's going to play yet or not. I don't think they've announced it. I th- And I was talking to Jimmy before the show started. I think Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert is going to be a favorite come draft time. Like a top five guy who could go in the first round? Yes. I think that he will show himself to be one of, if not the best quarterbacks in this draft. This is going to be his first chance on a big stage, at least this season. I'm not, I don't remember off the top of my head if he played last year, and I don't know how much coverage Oregon got on national TV because I don't believe they were very good. Well, they had Willie Taggart, and they were seven and five. So no. yeah, no. Well, we we all know we about, don't, we, we all like know about, about old that. Willie. So. Jimmy, give me your thoughts on this before I talk about me. I'll give you two picks. One if Bryce Love plays, one if he doesn't. I think if he plays, Stanford wins. I think if he doesn't, Oregon wins. Herbert's putting up numbers. Granted, they haven't really played anybody, but still. Herbert's putting up numbers, and if this gets into sort of like a a track meet, a shootout, it's going to go Oregon's way. And I think that's what Oregon's going to want. They are a much different program this year. I think they're a better program. They had sort of a sleepy game against San Jose State. That was a look-ahead game. They're fine. 
Um, the the first two games, Bowling Green and I think Portland State. Yeah, Portland State. It's it's going to be a very interesting game. I think Mario Cristobal, I've raved about him on the show a couple of times. I think that was the right hire. I think they got lucky when Taggart left, and then they, they got him. So I think it's going to be an interesting game, and I think if Bryce Love doesn't play, probably going to have to go with Oregon. So the line on this game is Stanford one and a, one and a half under. I think that's fair, given a that's a pre-determination on Bryce Love in playing in this game. I think that is a fair line, and that show that shows you that these that these people who make these odds are willing to say that yeah, Bryce Love doesn't play, Oregon might win this game. Um, you know what? Give me Oregon regardless. Interesting. I will t- I will come on the show next week, and if I'm wrong, I'll admit it. But I think Oregon, regardless, uh, you know what? This has been a real fun, great show. real great, great show. show. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you had as much fun as we did. Come back next week for the same great content. Thank you very much.